The 2023 minor league season is over and done. Who had the best performances from a statistical standpoint? We brought on Beck from the Dynasty Dugout to talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And I want this to be your show. If you have questions for Monday's mailbag, show ideas, anything like that, tons of ways to get them to us. Uh, email, Discord, subtext, Twitter, all kind of options are all in the episode description. They're all in the show notes. Uh, excited to welcome back to the show, uh, friend of the program, Beck from the Dynasty Dugout, uh, points league extraordinaire, but specifically wrote a really interesting article and, and something I look forward to every month, then now the end of the year, the prospect team of the year. And, and the reason I wanted to, to have you on to talk about this, Beck, is one, your criteria were a little bit different from everybody else's in the prospect apparatus. And so because of that, you kind of got some some really interesting players that haven't really been discussed at length. It's not just, hey, Junior Caminero and Jackson Holiday had a great left side of the infield. Like it's there's there's some other options in there as well. Uh, what did you do different on this compared to what everybody else, it seems like, did for their teams? Yeah, that's a good question because it was a little bit unconventional. I uh, I had written enough about Junior Caminero and Jackson Holiday, at least you know, there's enough writing out there for you to get uh, a good sense of who they are. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to focus on statistical performance that maybe aren't at the top of top prospect lists and talk about why that might be the case, but also highlight them and give them some kudos. So I excluded any player that uh, was currently at the MLB level. So when the season ended, they were playing with their big league affiliate. And uh, I, I based it solely on statistical performance. So these are not, you know, my my favorite or my highest ranked player at every position. It is strictly who did I think uh, perform the best throughout the entirety of the year. Yeah. And, and because of those self-imposed restrictions, we have a, a, a pretty diverse group now. And so like started in the outfield, uh, I'm, I'm if you're on the, the YouTube, you'll, you'll see the team on the screen right now, but Justice Bigby, Owen Casey and Blake Dunn. So these three guys are your outfield on the prospect team of the year and everybody would be thinking normally they'd expect to see guys like an Evan Carter and, you know, some of those other uh, uh, top prospects. But again, Evan Carter's an MLB, and these three guys statistically had really good years. Yeah, it was a lot of looking at, you know, I think sometimes we get caught up in age to level and you you might expect folks like Evan Carter or Jackson Churio here. Mm -hmm. um, there are spectacular performances happening all over minor league baseball. And some of those guys get overlooked and end up being really good assets for their major league teams, but also for fantasy teams, um, strictly because maybe they're a little bit older or they had a second half breakout or any number of reasons. Maybe they don't have a conventional frame. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about Guys like Justice Bigby, who was a 19th round draft pick and had a phenomenal 2023 after a pretty lukewarm 2022, or Blake Dunn, who became one of the handful of players ever to record a 2050 season, uh, and and get their names a little bit out there because I know that I haven't seen them in in baseball discourse as prominently as some of those uh, younger guys. Yeah, like so, so. So starting off with Dunn, like the thing for him, 2021 15th rounder out of Western Michigan. 
And so kind of a, a draft pedigree, both a late round and a cold weather school where you're not necessarily expecting a lot out of a guy who is a 15th rounder. That's typically an organizational guy is who you're taking in the 15th round. But like you said, 2050 season did some things that nobody had really kind of seen before. And I think the big, the big reason why he broke out was not only his great performance, but also the fact that he got on the field. He had combined for 48 games in 21 and 22 together. And all of those were either rookie ball or a ball. So the fact that he was not only able to play, but play all season, 124 games uh, and end up in double a with the performance he had kind of meant that he's obviously a special player. Yeah, he flew very under the radar. Of course, there weren't very many people with a lot of eyes on him in 2021 and 2022. And I'm always rooting for these kind of post-injury guys to get back on the field and prove what they have. What I found most interesting about Dunn was his uh, kind of pre-draft billing was incredible athleticism. Mm -hmm. Really, uh, really great wheels, uh, potentially double-plus arm for him to come back and have not just those things on display, um, but also have the offensive performance kind of out of nowhere made him somebody that I felt you know, needed to have his story told. It's not often you see a 15th rounder who had not played above a ball progress through both high A and double A and lead in a lot of major statistical categories in the way that he did. Yeah. And he's a guy that I actually watched him playing for Chattanooga that week that I did Montgomery Biscuits games. I saw him in person and he led off every single game. And it was something, things that you don't necessarily get when you look at just the statistical reports on a guy. It felt like every single at bat to, to blink done was a, a six, seven, eight pitch at bat. He's working deep counts. He's fouling stuff off over and over and over again. And then every time he got on base, not only was he a threat to steal, we see that by the 54 stolen bases, but he was somebody you could see the speed affect the, the pitcher and the defense as far as whether it's trying to turn a double play or him going first to throw on a base hit. And from a defensive perspective, watching him and Reese Hines in center and in right with those two arms that they had, it's just, it's one of those, it was a very, very imposing defense out there knowing that, hey, both these guys are good defensively. They've got massive cannons and it really, like it really impacted Montgomery's players with what they tried to do as far as, you know, stretching a, a base hit first to third or try to score from second on a single and, and, and things like that. So a really exciting player, glad that he's getting some attention and Probably somebody I'm thinking would open next year at AAA, it feels like. I don't know about you, but for me, it kind of feels like he got a long enough sample size in AA and dominated. He's probably a AAA guy next year. Yeah, I think he's probably a AAA guy. Um, and, you know, for the last 90 seconds or so, for those of you who are not watching on YouTube, I had a huge grin on my face because uh, Lindsay was, you know, bringing up a couple of things that I, I think are really important. Um, one, good reminder to at these players because you know, what they're doing on the field is impressive, but the way that they go about their business and the energy they bring, those are things that scouts and internal evaluators are looking at too. And done, you know, in the, the couple of games of film that I watched of him, he brought that energy. He was a bulldog. Those are things that you love to see just in terms of makeup from a player too. So big arrow up for, for Blake Dunn, his defense is going to keep him on the field. And if he can put together, you know, even, 70% of what he did with the bat at the major league level. This is a really good uh, ball player manning the outfield with plus defense. Yeah. And then next to him on the team, Justice Bigby and Owen Casey. And Bigby's a guy we see him in the AFL right now. I talked about him in the AFL preview, but somebody who went from, I believe it was 
all the way up to AAA in one season. So uh, 343, 405, 537, 19 home runs, six stolen bases. And like you said, Western Carolina product that was not drafted incredibly high, but made quite an impression this year from a statistical standpoint. Yeah, really fun to watch Big B um, not only climb the levels of the minor leagues, but climb organizational ranks for prospects too. Uh, former 19th rounder out of Western Carolina, so another Western college graduate here. Um, that put together a really scintillate, scintillating season. 485 plate appearances, 19 home runs, not always the most hitter-friendly environment. If you prorate that to something like a full-time job, at the major league level, there is plus you know thump game power mm-hmm. in this bat. Um, and I'm also enjoying watching him in the AFL right now. He's putting together a, a pretty good uh, string of games to open it. Uh, and has been really impressive. So I expect there to be more eyes on Justice Bigby over the coming weeks and potentially more chatter about his uh, potential to join the big league club pretty early on in 2024. There are some some AFL stands amongst our everydayers. Uh, obviously, we do the the weekly recap every Tuesday, but every single day from the Dynasty dugout, Beck and Chris will write up an AFL recap of the previous night, the notable performances you need to know. So those of you who are in love with the AFL right now, definitely another reason to go check out the Dynasty Dugout. Uh, Owen Casey had a really interesting year, and looking like it's not the exact same because the batting average wasn't the same, but seeing a 289 average with a 399 on base combined with a 31% strikeout rate, remind and then fantastic power. Reminds me a lot of what we saw from Ellie De La Cruz in the minors as far as very high uh, batting average and on base despite the strikeouts. Is this something like he did all of this in just double A? Do you think this is something that he's going to be able to repeat in triple A or is he going to have to make that adjustment? Because Ellie De La Cruz didn't really have to make the adjustment till he got to MLB, but he's also a unique player. Yeah, Ellie, that's a a very interesting comparison. I think Ellie had um, some underlying data that was maybe a little bit more troubling than what we're seeing for Owen Casey. Owen Casey doesn't chase as much. He doesn't have as much swing and miss. Um, So the ingredients for how they're getting to that elevated K rate is a little bit different. I think Ellie was able to out-athlete a lot of his problems. I don't think that's going to be the case for Owen Casey. I'm not as concerned about the K rate simply because the – Underlying data doesn't suggest that this is necessarily indicative of a skill issue. It might be more of an approach issue um, for him. I mean, putting together a nearly 400 OBP season while striking out in over 31% of your at-bats should tell you a little bit about what happens when he does make contact and put it in the field of play. Yeah, he's absolutely uh, incredibly talented, and it's just maybe exactly how he's trying to approach it. And then obviously anybody who's in the AA Southern League for you know, the first half of the year, you have to think about you have a little bit of inflated strikeout rate because of that really weird, tacky baseball that they had that feels like chalk when you play with it. So obviously a little bit of an issue there. Uh, in just a minute, I want to talk to you about the infield because, yes, we see Jackson Holiday, but there's also some other really interesting guys that aren't on a lot of these lists. We'll do that next, folks, right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Back to our chat with Beck in just a second, but first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Sleeper. The MLB playoffs are around the corner, which means the clock is ticking on your chance to win 100 times your cash on Daily Fantasy Baseball. Baseball has never been more exciting than it is right now, with studs like Ronald Acuna Jr., 
at Corbin Carroll and Jordan Alvarez. Pick more or less on stats for these stars, like home runs, hits, strikeouts, and more for up to a 100 times payout on Sleeper. Get your picks right, and you could win big. Use promo code Locked On. You'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details, but they're currently operational in over 30 states, so check out Sleeper today. Welcome back to Locked On MLB Prospects. Lindsey Crosby joined by Beck from the Dynasty Dugout. Uh, and for your infield, and we'll put it back on the screen for the, uh, uh, for the YouTube folks to see it, but we had Kobe Mayo for the Baltimore Orioles at first base, Colt Keith of the Tigers at third base, names we've talked about quite a bit on this show, Jackson Holiday at short, a name that literally I think everybody in the country knows who this is at this point, and then Thomas Tujasi at second base. When you went into this, did you think you were going to have somebody on the prospect team of the year that was traded midseason? Like, it, obviously, it happens sometimes, but did you expect that going in? I wasn't necessarily something that was uh, top of mind for me. I think if I had guessed who I thought my second baseman might be, it would have been probably Ryan Bliss. Mm-hmm. Um, who was also Michael traded Bush, midseason. Who was, yeah, who was also traded midseason. So maybe that should have been more on my radar. Um, but so Jay-Z was not the first name that kind of jumped to mind. So uh, pulling down all of this data from uh, fan graphs and kind of sorting through it, uh, was really interesting. Sometimes you find things that you're, you know, maybe your biases don't pick up on right away. Yeah. And, and when I look at what Sujaci did and the slash line, 306, 374, 530, 26 home runs, 12 stolen bases, that's 630 plate appearances between the Texas system and the St. Louis system, double uh, A AA and triple A. Uh, the thing that I noticed, and you mentioned this in the write-up, is he's not necessarily, there's not one specific skill that's carrying his offensive production. He's just pretty decent at just about everything that in, that's involved with hitting every single aspect, whether it's uh, exit velocity, power, plate discipline, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was pretty squarely average in terms of batted ball data. Um, his average EV and 90th percentile EV don't jump off the page, but he's really maximizing his batted balls with good angles. We talk a little bit about launch angle. You also want to talk maybe a little bit about standard deviation of launch angle. How variable is your batted ball data? Mm -hmm. Uh, And when he makes good contact, it's often to his pull side. It's also often putting the ball in the air and an angle conducive to that. Leaving the yard, his batted ball data wouldn't necessarily point to a, a consistent 25, 26 home run hitter, but he has really optimized his swing to get the most out of it. And it, it leads me to a really kind of interesting place now of I don't know how St. Louis approaches the right side of the infield now. You have obviously Paul Goldschmidt at first. You have Nolan Gorman at second, who ended up becoming pretty platoon-proof later on in the year, didn't get platooned a ton. And so not quite sure how you fit Sujaci in there. Is this something maybe, and this is all speculation, obviously, but is this maybe something where you wait until Goldschmidt's out of the picture and then maybe Gorman moves back to moves over to first? And so JC plays second, or do you think they try to find a way to squeeze him into the roster as soon as next year? I mean, if there's a team out there that has roster problems, uh, <laughs> maybe outside of the Orioles, it's the St. Louis Cardinals. They have too many guys for too many positions. Uh, that said, you know, we could see some of Thomas and Jay-Z in St. Louis next year in more of a utility man role. Mm-hmm. My read is that he has the athleticism to play second, short, or third. And he could probably play a pretty decent corner outfield in a pinch. But the the future home for him is is not super clear, at least in the imme- immediate term. Yeah, and that's obviously they'll figure that out, and they have plenty of time for that. They're worried about the pitching right now, the starting pitching, and finding more swing and miss anyway. Yep. Uh, 
Kobe Mayo had a really interesting year simply because uh, one, he was on your June team, your June team of the month. That I noticed the theme in this article. A lot of these guys made the June <laughs> team of the month. Uh, but 294, 10, 564, 29 home runs and and double A, triple A, yet he never really seemed to get a chance in Baltimore as far as being the guy to get called up. And I'm trying to figure out, we did a whole segment of the show on this. How do you fit all of these options in in Baltimore? Is he is he somebody who's good enough where he needs to be prioritized finding a way to get him into that lineup? Or is he somebody that you may see them trade for a another starting pitching option. Yeah, I think he might be a trade candidate. I, I, I'm i a huge Kobe Mayo fan. Mm-hmm. I really uh, was impressed by the move that Baltimore made to get him over slot later in that draft. Um, there's too many pieces. I think, you know, Mayo could be a trade piece. I think Jory Ortiz could be a trade piece alongside Connor Norby. It'll be interesting to see what they do with guys like Ryan O'Hearn. Mm-hmm. Um, Mayo, I mean, you can't really uh, find too many flaws in what he's doing statistically, but when you watch... Uh, his plate appearances, it is kind of in an orthodox uh, setup and swing. And I worry about how that translates against the best pitching in the world. Uh, and the, you know, the Orioles are, are smarter than I am, so they'll figure out what to do. But, uh, you know, a, a premium bat would play better if he can stick at third. Ultimately, I think he's probably going to be a first baseman. Yeah. And this is anecdotal, but it feels like those guys that have a really unique setup at the plate, it's almost harder for the teams to help them out of a slump or help them with an issue because they are so unique and they don't fit into the conventional boxes that a hitting coach is used to checking when he's trying to fix an issue. And so I, I wonder about that as well. Yeah. I mean, if Mayo falls into a a deep and troubling slump, uh, I think it would be tempting for a swing coach to try and rebuild it in its entirety. Mm -hmm. And that's a very risky endeavor too. So I I think you're onto something there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, left side of the infield, Colt Keith at third base, Jackson Holiday at shortstop. Both guys that have been covered quite a bit. Obviously, Holiday a lot more, number one prospect in all of baseball. Uh, but for Holiday, is there anything that necessarily was surprising about this year other than just maybe how good he, in fact, was? Because like, we knew he was a good player. But do we think we knew he was 19-year-old and AAA good? I certainly did not. I had uh, Drew Jones over him in my first year player draft rankings. Mm-hmm. If I, you know, had that uh, selection, I probably would have gone with Drew Jones, and I would have my pants around my ankles right now. Um, Jackson Holiday was better than I had imagined. Obviously, he came on late in the uh, draft process last mm-hmm. year, um, and you know, ultimately was a consensus top five pick. But never in my wildest dreams did I think he would be 19 and triple A good. That just doesn't really happen. But here we are. You know, he finished the year with a 323, 442, 499 line. Um, 442 on base percentage while uh, reaching triple A as a 19-year-old is preposterous. Yes. Uh, maybe the only thing that I don't uh, – I haven't seen it yet is uh, any kind of plus game po- game power. did have 581 plate appearances and, and manage 12 home runs for a 19 year old. I, uh, you know, that's not something that would, that would really concern me. And there's certainly the possibility that he shows up to spring training next year, 15, 20 pounds heavier with good weight and is, you know, in a position where we can confidently project 20 or 25 home runs, but I haven't seen it yet. And that's pretty much the only thing that I can say, uh, as a, a kind of a negative remark about Jackson holiday. Yeah. And we had a, a, 
minor league girl on the show on Monday, a, a college pitcher who said that even just for him, his first year in the minors, you know, he just from the workload, he lost 15 or so pounds over the course of mm-hmm. a season. And so thinking about he's obviously a pitcher, not a position player. He's not playing every single day like Jackson Holiday is. So I'm sure that's a big part of that first year in baseball was just acclimating physically to the demands of playing six days a week every single week for, you know, four months. And I could absolutely see, given his his family and his background, him coming back in, in the spring and contending for the second base job out of spring training with an extra, like you said, 15 pounds of good, solid muscle that could really uh, make that slugging percentage go crazy. So very totally. good point, yeah. Yeah, the Orioles will have him on two programs this offseason. They'll have him on a weight program, and they'll have him on an eating program because he's going to need to pack in some calories if he's going to put on any good weight, uh, you know, through that. He doesn't quite have the same frame as his dad. I never expect him to be as filled out as yeah. as Nat Holiday was. But, it, you know, in any event, there is plenty of room on his frame to add 15, 20 pounds of muscle. And and somebody who does have a a little bit of a bigger frame and a, and a more decent frame, Colt Keith of the Detroit Tigers, double A AA and triple A, 306, 380, 552, 27 home runs last year. And it's something where we knew he was good going into the year, but uh, I don't necessarily know if we expected him and really a lot of these Detroit Tigers guys, Justice Bigby, Justin Henry Malloy, we expected the jumps a lot of these guys were going to take. And so it has to make you feel good if you're a Tigers fan about the future of the position players, seeing them kind of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say fix Riley Green and Torkelson, but then also Colt Keith having such a good year some of those other guys that we mentioned. Yeah. in a year that didn't culminate in maybe as many wins as you'd hope for with the major league club. Um, there were a lot of success stories up and down their organization. You mentioned Riley green and Spencer Torkelson looking like they could, you know, eventually be the prospects that they were or be the players that we thought they would be when they were prospects. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned it, justice Bigby having a, a truly incredible breakout year, Colt Keith putting together a nearly 30 home run season, jumping from double a AA to triple a, Justin Henry Malloy having an excellent offensive season. Um, and I'll be honest, I watched Colt Keith for a handful of games in last year's Arizona Fall League, and I came away from those live looks maybe a little bit underwhelmed, mostly driven by his defense. So mm-hmm. I think there's a possibility that we don't actually see him at third base. We see him at first or second or playing a corner outfield. Yeah, and then obviously kind of looking at some of the talent that they have in that system with the J.C. Young and things like that makes you mm-hmm. kind of, that's a problem for the future. Right, that's not something that we're worried about right now. Let's just fi- let's just get these guys to the bigs, and we'll make them work. And in just a minute, you had a really interesting uh, battery, and probably a battery that's actually worked together, you know, worked with each other. And we'll talk about that next, right here on Locked On MLB Prospects. Wrapping up with Beck in just a minute, but first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. October baseball is back, and you cannot make your postseason debut without. FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Join FanDuel today and you'll get started with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to create your new account. You can get in on the action from the first pitch until the final out. Bet on everything from strikeouts to home runs to who will win the game. Head on over to FanDuel.com slash locked on right now. Step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets Guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Welcome back. Final segment of Locked in MD Prospects here on Friday. Lindsey Crosby joined by Beck from the Dynasty Dugout. Uh, I believe it's 
com for all of your uh, your work on points leagues. Chris Clegg's work, obviously friend of the show. Uh, fantastic resource if you're a fantasy baseball player. Absolutely worth every single penny, and that's not a lot of pennies. Uh, so the pitcher and the catcher on this team are both New York Yankees. And Drew Thorpe is a guy that we've, we've, we've talked about quite a bit, was uh, the minor league str- strikeout leader, 182, and is one of those on track to probably debut in 2024. And I, I do want to talk about him a little bit. But Ben Rice is not somebody that a lot of people know a lot about. And he made the, the uh, team of the year at catcher. What can you tell the folks who aren't familiar with Ben Rice about why he deserves to be here and how good he was? One, I want to debut the nickname that some of the you know bright folks in the Dynasty Dugout Discord uh, kind of drug up. They've been calling him Uncle Ben. I think it's hilarious. I also think it's pretty fitting. Uh, Rice flew under uh, a lot of radars coming into the year. He had a, a pretty limited track record in 2021 and 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and he missed a good portion of the 2023 season. So, you know, the time he was on the field was truly superlative. He had a, a back injury that held him out of competition in May and June. Uh, originally a 12th round pick out of Dartmouth, you know, like I said, fairly inauspicious start. Um, but in his kind of half season of 332 plate appearances, he managed to put 20 balls over the fence and steal 11 bases as a catcher. Uh, you know, he had a 3-4-6 slash line. It was mm-hmm. really, really impressive. And I was struck by the year over year growth that he demonstrated. And I could not find any video of him from 2022. So I reached out on Instagram, uh, reached out to him on Instagram, wondering, you know, what was the training program? Did you enter the season with any goals? I unfortunately didn't hear back. Uh, I still haven't heard back, but I also didn't hear back before the time of writing. So I can't tell you, you know, what was inside his mind uh, and what was inside the minds of the Yankees development team. But, uh, you know, this performance doesn't look fluky. He hits the ball hard. Uh, his pre-swing mechanics and his swing look pretty good to me. He's a lefty. He holds his hands high, similar to Christian Yelich. And I, I consider myself a, a Ben Rice fan. It, it's, it's kind of funny how a prospect can, can come in and, in essence, demand the attention via their performance. And if you look at catcher in the Yankee system, the conversation started and kind of stopped with Austin Wells. Like that was the guy everybody talked about. And it was, is he going to stay catcher? Is he going to move to first base? What's going to happen? And Ben Rice has come in and shown that uh, offensively, he's absolutely got what it takes. But then defensively, he might also be able to move to first base if he needs to. And, and so gives the Yankees a lot of flexibility, a lot of options. Uh, I wonder if they considered getting him some time in the Arizona Fall League to make up some of, some of those at-bats or not. It's just interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I mean, obviously he's not out there. I think it could have yeah. done him some good. He would have been one of the older players out there. And so I wonder, you know, to what extent yeah. that would have been helpful for him. Although um, more game reps, that's never going to hurt. Yeah. All right. And then the the pitcher of this team, guy we've talked about on the show before, Drew Thorpe, again, led the minor leagues in strikeouts, 182. And I think the big takeaways when I watch uh, Drew Thorpe is uh, his, he's a changeup dominant pitcher. And we've talked on the show before about feeling like sometimes those change-up dominant pitchers kind of have a lower ceiling than other prospects who are getting by off of velocity or, you know, great fastball carry up in the zone, things like that. What's your overall thoughts about Drew Thorpe? Is he as good as leading the minors in strikeouts? Is he, is it a little bit of fool's gold? Do you think there's a little bit of risk there from a fantasy perspective? Kind of, what are your thoughts there on Drew Thorpe? 
I think Thorpe has a, a good repertoire, like you said, led by that changeup, but also, you know, and this is maybe a little bit anecdotal. Minor leaguers tend to have more problems with changeups than big league hitters do, and that gives me a little bit of concern. At the same time, I'm trying to throw out any prior that I may have from being very high on Gavin Stone coming into the year and watching his arsenal really struggle because, you know, the underlying metrics for Thorpe were really impressive. He had a 34.4% CSW called strike and whiff rate Mm -hmm. uh, and a 26.9 K minus walk rate. Both of those things are indicative of a pitcher um, really getting the better of hitters on a consistent basis. And so you know, while I have my reservations about how that kind of repertoire uh, translates to the big league level, I also have a little bit of confidence in Yankees pitching development to give him something that spins to complement that, uh, something that spins and is considered plus. Yeah, and given that that it's the Yankees, obviously that kind of screams out they're going to try to th- give him a sweeper. Uh, he does throw. He's one of those guys. I like guys that do this. He throws both a sweeper and a gyro slider, and mm-hmm. so it, it gives you multiple different looks out of the same arm slot, same, uh, same kind of velocity, things like that. So, kind of a big fan of guys who can take the arm speed and the and the release point and give you multiple options there. Fastball cutter as well with that. It feels like a lot of the pieces are there, but like you said, I really think he needs to find something that can spin. That's a plus pitch. Because it feels like a lot of it right now, just from having watched some Drew Thorpe on tape, a lot of it's pitchability. A lot of mm-hmm. it's him figuring out, okay, like, you know, like, he understands I've set you up with this and this. You've, your eyes have gone up for this and you've gone down for this. Let me throw you something away like a sweeper when you're expecting something like a changeup or a gyro to, to get the out. And so I'm curious if he can add that velocity. Does he maybe get to a, the ceiling of a number three or is he more of a four or five and that I'm kind of right there now where I'm, I'm thinking he's a four or five, but I think he could maybe be a three if you can see more velocity and get him from the low nineties to maybe the mid nineties. I don't know if that's possible at this point in his career. Yeah, I maybe, I mean, he could be a driveline candidate um, yeah. and potentially they swap the four seamer with another fastball variation that might yeah. have better shape for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not clear to me on video if he, you know, has a, a pronation or supination bias and what kind of fastball shape might fit, you know, his body's natural mechanics better. Right. Uh, but they're, you know, I think addressing the fastball is probably number one uh, and then getting in a pitching lab and figuring out what uh, variations of that sweeper and gyro slider make the most sense uh, and how do I play with the mix. Uh, so I'm not so reliant on being such a, a cerebral pitcher. I can also overwhelm people with stuff uh we love we love a good pitching lab on this show so it's i really hope they get him through that excited to see what drew thorpe does next year uh, if if folks listening to this show if, if the everydayers want more from you more points league content more write-ups like this more afl stuff where can they go to follow you find your stuff give you love well, I would appreciate some love. Um, my Twitter handle is at upper underscore Beck. It's available, you know, on your screen if you're watching. Um, that's more of my general baseball thoughts. It really indexes into prospect content. And then all of my written work lives on the Dynasty Dugout substack. That is the dynastydugout.com. And again, uh, we've said it a few times in this show and over the last couple months, but absolutely worth every single penny. And again, it's not a lot of pennies. Fantastic content from uh, from Beck and from Chris. And honestly, an amazing qu- uh, quantity of, of content. Just so much coming out every single day. There's new things to read. 
I have the Substack app on my phone and maybe two in the afternoon and like, you know, Chris just dropped 800 words on two guys he watched film of. So uh, fantastic value. Uh, folks, that'll do it for this week. Enjoy the games this weekend. We got some postseason games. Hopefully we'll have some good matchups this weekend. And until we talk on Monday, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer. Thank you.